the Gifted Life Podcast, where we have conversations about organ, tissue, eye donation, and transplantation. You can always find us at thegiftedlife.org. I'm Lori Steele. I'm Sarah Blakemore. I'm Kelly Random. That does not sound like Joey. No, where's Joey? <laughs> <laughs> Kelly, f- filling in. We appreciate you. Joey's taking care of a beautiful little baby and his wife. So mm, he did have a baby. Looks just like a mini Joey. We I love know. that. We love that. And we love that you're sitting in today. Lots to get to on the podcast. What are we talking about? We are going to talk to Nick Whitaker, who is a kidney recipient, and his donor's story was just recently featured in Two Hearts. Ooh, I'm excited. Okay. Me too. And we're also going to be talking about um, some ways that we can live with people who have differences of opinions and how to get through that. Oh, important lessons. Mm -hmm. All right. All that. Thegiftedlife.org. Here we go. Here on the Gift and Life podcast, we are honored uh, to introduce our listeners to Mr. Nick Whitaker. Hey, Nick. Hello. We are so grateful that uh, you're taking the time uh, to tell us your story and to inspire hearts uh, across the world. So thank you so much. Now, you are a recipient, correct? I am a recipient of a kidney and a pancreas on March 28, 2008. 2008. And ever since then, um, it has been your mission uh, to increase registries, to increase awareness about donation. Um, And we know that uh, a little bit about your hero, uh, closely connected to Lopa. Kelly, we're hoping you can kind of get into that as we start to talk about Nick's story. Um, But Nick, tell us about life uh, pre-transplant and what was happening uh, where you were. I became a diabetic at age 13. And almost from the beginning, I suffered complications. Uh, related to diabetes and what happens with that. Uh, I had uh, a neuropathy from the second week I had diabetes all the way to, to, the, to the transplant, uh, which is a tingling in your nerves uh, all over my body, not just in my fingers and my toes, but all over. Um, I had uh, eye problems from retinopathy, which is where the blood vessels burst in your eye on your retina. So there's points in time when I couldn't see out of one or both of my eyes. And imagine how that is as a diabetic having to test, draw insulin, those kind of things. It became a very interesting life uh, when when those events happened. And as I became an adult, I began to suffer some more severe complications. I developed uh, a digestive problem that caused me to uh, regurgitate uh, repetitively until I had to be hospitalized multiple times. Uh, one year I was hospitalized 39 times. So I spent most of that year in the hospital dealing with issues from diabetes. Uh, it became much more severe um, in in 2006. I uh, went to sleep and when I woke up, uh, I was in the hospital and they were dialyzing me from a temporary catheter out of my neck. My kidneys had failed and I began to go through the process of dialysis. And that is a very hard way to live. You live from treatment to treatment and barely make it sometimes. Uh, it's almost impossible to be in compliant with what happens with the physical part of your body. Um, I had some problems with that because they could never find what they call permanent access. I had 17 temporary catheters, uh, two fistulas, and uh, several Gore-Tex tubes put into my body. All of them clotted off. So it came down to the point where my vascular surgeon said to me, We've run out of places to to give you uh, access. And so 
we're going to do an angiogram on you and we're going to find someplace in your body. I don't care where it's at. The surgeon said, we're going to find someplace and I'm going to put the, the catheter there and we're going to have another point to dialyze you from. So I go to have the angiogram done, done and I'm lying in a recovery in a flat position. My wife is in the room, Michelle, and the surgeon walks in and she's been, I've been working together for several years and she was crying. And when that happened, I went, Oh, <laughs> this is not going to be good. And she told Michelle and me that, uh, I better start getting my, my stuff together that I was going to pass away soon because I couldn't find any place. And that was, uh, political Michelle's face was one I'd seen countless times in our history together. Uh, the, Oh my God, what's going to happen now? So they pull Michelle out of the room and they go tell her all the details and I'm still laying flat for, for another excruciating hour and 20 minutes till I could get up. And then we drove home pretty much in silence, just trying to figure out, grasp around, Hey, you're getting ready to die. You have several months to live at best. And so I go into my house and I sit in the chair and I'm sitting there thinking what I'm going to do. And I start going through all the paperwork, you know, insurances, trust, all the things that you do when, when that moment happens in your life. And I, my, and Michelle, I can hear Michelle out in, in, in the foyer talking to my relatives. Hey, if you want to see Nick or talk to Nick, you better do it quickly because this is what's going on. And my phone rings and I pick up the phone and it was Oscar transplant unit on the phone. They said, Mr. Whitaker, we have a match. So on that day, I was told I was going to die. And I was told that I might be, had the possibility of getting a transplant because we, when you go in for a transplant, two other people are also called in in case you are not an exact match. So you go in and they pull a huge amount of blood and, and then you wait. <laughs> and that was a long night, prayers, calls. And at 5.30 that morning, they rolled in with the gurney and said, it's you. Come on, it's your turn. So how long were you, this is Kelly, how long were you on the uh, list prior to um, receiving the kidney? That's a great question. It takes a, a year approximately to even get onto the list. They test every part of your body. Uh, they even psychological tests. They check to see if you're complying in your medications. All those things are checked. But when I actually hit the list, I was on the list for three months. I got listed 1A shortly after the angiogram and you know, I'm blessed, a miracle, all those things, lucky, <laughs> whatever you say, I go, yes, that happened. <laughs> <laughs> and I think and, it's, uh, it's, so, it's important for listeners to understand that when you don't have access, you can't be dialyzed, which means then that all of those toxins that your kidney normally filters and fluids that your kidney filters out of your body, that isn't happening for you, which is why things were so critical for you. Correct. Correct. That is correct. And not only do you begin to feel bad, but your brain gets toxic as well. So you lose cognitive abilities through that process as well. It's a very scary moment. So if this all started when you were 13, did we understand the donation process? Were we not even thinking about that? Um, did you and your families have conversations? I had, you know, throughout my life, I'd had many conversations with my family. And they were willing to donate if they were a match. I didn't even ask them to be a match. I was so brittle, uh, hard to control as a diabetic that I didn't want them to donate a kidney <laughs> and me still be a diabetic and burn their kidney that they had donated or anybody else for that matter. I chose to hold out until it could be a K kidney and pancreas transplant. 
and and that was a tough decision as well. And I thought I would not make it, but it, I was blessed and in a way that, that I have never been able to repay. So since the transplant, uh, what's your life like from a diabetes perspective? Still medications? I woke up, no medications. I'm not diabetic any longer. When I woke up and saw urine flowing down the Foley tube, <laughs> I asked them to extubate me right away and got up within an hour of that Wow! and began walking around the ICU unit because my life had dramatically changed. It was an instant recognition of my body that things were different. Mm -hmm. And And look how he changed in his story. Like you could hear the the upbeat and the the turn in 2008. And you never thought you'd be so happy as to go to the bathroom, right? (laughs) (laughs) Look, I often say in many of the press uh, interviews I've done, if I can wake up in the morning and I can go pee, Nothing matters after that. It's a it's good, a good day. day. Yeah, <laughs> it's a good day. Oh, I love that. And and the reason that you're uh, able to have this uh, great spirit and to do these things that you never thought possible uh, is because of a hero uh, that you've gotten a chance to learn more about, right? Correct. Chris Gregory is my hero. Uh, he made a decision as a young man that changed five people's lives and affected countless others with donation of tissue. And I, I wrote things, and I think that. That, that young man uh, was a great young man, Eagle Scout, a solid young man, comes from a great family who I'm friends with, Eric and Grace Gregory. They are a fantastic family, and he was a, uh, a conscientious lover of humanity and a, a fantastic guy. Yeah, and we just learned about him because his family made a movie about his experience um, becoming a donor. Is that correct? That is correct. Uh, it is a movie based on a book that Eric wrote over mm-hmm. a few years. And uh, all of the, the recipients, I believe, except for one, were able to contribute to that story. And they decided to turn that into a movie, which we hope will help people to get the idea to register as an organ donor mm-hmm. and become someone else's hero. And Eric Gregory is Chris Gregory, your hero's father. Um, and we've had correct. him on the podcast before, and he's, you know absolutely wants his mission to be saving as many lives as possible. And it's clear that he has. Yeah, he is. He's interested in propelling Chris's legacy as well. He holds on to that. And, and I want to help them with that as well. When you have a transplant and you begin to think about it afterwards, you, you wonder what can I do to deserve this and to honor the person. And I promise uh, Chris and Eric and, and Grace that I would do my best to enjoy every moment of life. And I've had 12 years of extra moments to do that with. Tell us about when you... I live by that credo. I'm sorry. (laughs) Tell us about when you met Eric and Grace. Um, I have been doing some activities with Lovo and uh, trying to raise awareness. And I had done a big event at Delgado Community College here in New Orleans. And I I came home and I was, you know, sitting there going through my email and there was an email from them took me about an hour and a half to open it and it talked about you know who chris was and this is when i learned first who my donor was at that point you're kind of in the dark and and you know, i talked in the family and that was uh several months uh in december of 2009 and then in august of that year we uh the next year we we met and we met in new orleans and when you come to somebody what do you say <laughs> i mean there's, i mean how do you say hey Thank you. I mean, thank you is not good enough. So we all hugged each other and cried for maybe 20 minutes before you even said a word. 
Must have been an incredible experience. Yes, it, it, beyond incredible. They were so gracious and and kind and, and wanted to know how about us and, and our story and how did I get to that point. And we talked for, uh, you know, we, we stayed together that weekend, uh, almost the whole weekend, talking and talking about the things that Chris enjoyed and the things that we enjoyed and their similarities. And, and that all works into becoming a family with them. We're very, very close. Well, the movie is called. I'm blessed again. Yeah, the movie is called um, Two Hearts, if you want to learn more about Chris Gregory. Uh, Sarah mentioned that we had Eric, Chris's dad, on the Gifted Life podcast. That's episode 84, if you hadn't listened to it, um, for those that are tuning in today. Uh, There's also a book out there, All My Tomorrows. Uh, One of the things, uh, when we talked to Eric, uh, he said he wanted to know exactly what was happening in your life, Nick, um, so that he could go back and say, what was I doing at that exact moment? So he mentions on that podcast that you were sent home that day, that you were told there were no more options, uh, that your wife was to start planning a funeral. And then he kind of went back to say what was happening on our end. And I just thought that was so amazing. And it looks like uh, that's one of the things that they took and, and transformed in, into the movie. So we've been hearing great things um, about it. What have you been hearing? Uh, look, I've seen the reviews. They're going very well. I think that it's done a great thing to put it into the general population in a movie format versus uh, standing up and talking so that they can go and watch this happen before them. And then they can actually live those moments on the screen with the people that are there that are packing that part. And I think it's going to raise awareness and continue Chris Gregory's legacy of saving lives, but helping people to understand that they need to register as an organ donor. We talk a lot about our donors leaving a living legacy, and I think the parallel between um, Eric's dad wanting to know what you were doing in those moments when they were making the hardest decisions of their life and what and how you were having one of the hardest days of your life, I think it's really powerful to know that Chris lived on through you and his story didn't end. I think that is a very powerful thing, and I do my best to live up to that. It is a a thing I take very seriously to continue his legacy. I talk about it endlessly, mm-hmm. even in line at the at, at the grocery store. Where somebody will be saying, <laughs> I love that. Well, "Why are you always smiling?" <laughs> and I say, "Well, because." And you go through a brief three minute version of the story so that they understand the power of registering. You just don't know what's going to happen. Who are you going to save? Uh, and Nick, we can hear the joy uh, when you when you talk about these moments. And I love how you put that twelve years of extra. Moments. I like that perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in those 12 years, what are what are some of the highlights uh, for you? What are the things that you're able to do because of this hero? Well, first of all, wake up every day. I mean, <laughs> the lessons you learn from the moment of dying to the moment of enjoying life is huge. And I've been able to continue to work. I was on disability. I went to nursing school. I decided to, to move on with a nonprofit at that point. Uh, instead of doing that and raise awareness that way, I'm back in the workforce again. I get to live with my parents and my wife and my dog. And really, you know, what I want to say to everybody is it's not these big things you do. It's the everyday little things little, yeah. that become the most valuable things. Enjoy the moment no matter what's going on because it might not be continuing. It might be the last moment. So I do my best no matter what is happening to find some way to enjoy the moment. And now you have a bonus family, additional family with the Gregories? <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, you know, I talk to them on a regular basis. I'm blessed to have the love of that family. And and it's, you know, and we talk specifically about how they're feeling and how I'm feeling. 
regularly because, you know, I don't even to this day after 12 years, you know, exactly what to say, you know, at this point. I'm just thinking about your wife, Michelle, and having to go through all of that and to where you guys are now. Should have her on, too, huh? Yeah, <laughs> The wife's perspective sitting at the table. Uh, I love it. I love that you're so honest and open um, and, and wanting to share. And our, our goal is to make life happen, to get people thinking, talking about donation. Um, if you had to leave people with a nugget about what donation does, what it is, what would you say? I would say that you don't know who you're going to save. And you're the hero when you register. And you may never become a donor. But when you register, you're, you're stating you're making a statement. I'm willing to save lives. That makes you a hero. Now, what that means, you could save the person that cures cancer. You could save the next president. You could save somebody's grandmother one day, somebody's child. You just don't know who that's going to be. The fact that you could save anybody is something that's a blessing to everyone. So register as an organ donor. Become someone's hero. Yeah. Nick, it was a pleasure. Thank you so much for sharing your story, for sharing uh, a little bit of Chris and getting, uh, letting us know him a little bit better. I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. Here on The Gifted Life, we take a moment for mental health. So what are we talking about today, Sarah? Okay, so we're talking about something I think is very important, um, and that's living with or being around people who have differences of opinions. Hold on, hold on. I got my pen and my paper. Okay, go, <laughs> go, go, go. Yes, exactly. <laughs> we need this. Yeah. You know, as we know, this has been a very trying year. It's an election year. Um, we've had a global pandemic and there's mm-hmm. been a lot of social unrest. And what that's caused is a lot of uncomfortable conversations in the home, um, whether people are moving back in with their parents and having hard conversations about politics, um, social unrest, things like that. So I just kind of wanted to talk about that and give some tips on um, how to reprioritize our connection with our loved ones and have it not be so focused on our differences yeah and one other thing in louisiana the storms and rebuilding Mm -hmm. and where you're going to get your next meal and shelters and all that fun stuff so yeah yeah Yeah. and you know everybody has difference of opinions that's okay it's okay to have our opinions um and the main thing is when we talk about this i think it's really important to discuss things not like you're trying to change the other person's opinion yes but understand where they're coming from and share your side. So, you know, we need to work on a little bit explaining ourselves in a way that's not geared towards changing someone's mind, but explaining who you are and why you think the way you think. And to listen with that same that's, thought process. Yes, yes. listen learning. to hear, not yeah. to respond. We always say that on the podcast. It's really important to understand what someone's saying so that we can empathize with them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, So the first kind of tip I want to talk about is, guys, let's cut back on social media. (laughs) (laughs) Just unplug it. We laugh because it's so true. We see a lot of opinions on social media, um, which can cause discomfort between people. Um, You know, on Facebook, if someone posts something, you know, you know that person personally. But if they say something that's attacking, you feel it's attacking you and your beliefs. Like it can damage your relationship, right? So let's cut back a little bit on social media. What's well, one thing to be behind a keyboard or on your phone mm-hmm. typing something and then another to say it? Like mm-hmm. they would never, I don't think, say to someone's face. So I, I see it a lot. So that worries me too. Yes. <laughs> too. So we have to cut back. I'll and it's almost back. like they forget yes. that you are a person and, and you're who you are like as a person. <laughs> yes. <laughs> 
Right. So, yeah. And, you know, we know that more social media is bad for your mental health in general. Mm -hmm. It's also bad for your connections with people. So um, just limit it as much as you can. Mm -hmm. Um, The next one is let's not make assumptions about people who think differently than us. Mm -hmm. Don't make those grand generalized assumptions about someone just because of their political views or um, what they think about the global pandemic, what they think the best response is. Don't make assumptions based off one opinion for the rest of their ideas. Yeah, I get that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I think we all know how it feels when someone does that to us. So right. we want to make sure we're not doing that to others. Um, also, I think we've lost a little bit of the agree to disagree. Absolutely. <laughs> we yeah. lost a lot of it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there's I, you know, I see a lot in the conversations I personally have with my family. um, It's not it's no longer it goes back to saying, um, I'm listening to understand you. Let's listen to understand. And sometimes it's okay to walk away. You're not going to change anybody's mind, you know. And that's really healthy to recognize that. Maybe you can listen to learn, too. Yes, absolutely. Agreeing to disagree. I think we've lost that a little bit. So let's get back to that. And just know that when you are having these difficult conversations with your family, with your friends, that you still know who that person is and you still know who you are. And I think the majority of people are good. I really do. And I think the majority of people want what's best for everyone. So just keep that in mind and reprioritize. Don't make politics your number one priority when you're talking to your family. Um, Make it be your connection with them. Make it be learning together and enjoying the conversation. I think we forget how to enjoy conversation and argument. Argument's not a bad thing. It's okay to argue. Yeah, calmly. Facts. Yeah. Yeah. A a lot of times I'm just saying, and you know, it's just 2020. We'll look at this again tomorrow. (laughs) It's 2020, right? Yes. Toss it up. Yeah. Not every conversation has to be a really deep, powerful political conversation. We can just still enjoy each other. And I think we're lucky in this field that we see the best that people have to offer every day that we talk to a donor family. Oh, yeah. I like that. I think you forget that on a keyboard, a phone, laptop. Yeah, it's true. You know, we we see our families in their wor- in the worst days of their lives making the most selfless decisions. So it makes sense that, you know, all people really most people want what's best for everyone. I like that. I like that way that we're ending it. Uh, maybe you have a topic you'd like Sarah to cover. Email us at info at the dot org. In our question and answer segment, Lori's got a question for us. Yes, I saw something on TV about donation. Seemed unlikely. How do I find out if it's true or not? Kelly? Well, there's a lot of great resources out there. I think the best um, resource for uh, people about donation is organdonor.gov or UNOS, U-N-O-S, dot org. And of course, there's always your local organ procurement agency, uh, LOPA being L-O-P-A dot org. And they'll give you all of the actual accurate facts about donation. And I know that we are happy to hear from you. We like to discuss, mm-hmm. like, tell us what you're seeing. Let's, let's walk it through. Uh, the other thing that I have on my cell phone is the Activate app. It's from Donate Life Hollywood. And so you can actually go to the app and say, I watch this check this out or Mm -hmm. they'll let you know like you can check this out this is a true story we think it's great so it's really interactive and a good way to keep up to date on what's happening in the world of hollywood when it comes to donations so that's a, a cool way to go about it as well Great question. Yep. If you have any more questions guys give us a call at 
in every episode of The Gifted Life, we honor a hero. Today, we honor Reese Gorman. And we learn about him from his family. Reese was a sweet young man with a heart of gold who really knew how to make people laugh. He was happiest outdoors and everything it had to offer, with his brother Jack, friends, or a fishing pole in his hand. His early start with music included a guitar and his ability to play Stairway to Heaven. We never would have dreamed that he would have walked that stairway so soon. He was one of the biggest rays of happiness God gave this world. Reese's beautiful blue eyes and amazing smile had everyone he talked to in love with who he was. His life was his legacy, and through his donations, he was able to continue his legacy with the four lives he saved. He's loved and missed daily, and we know he will continue to bless the world with his beautiful spirit. So let's take a moment and thank Reese for the gift of life. And that'll do it for episode 150 of The Gifted Life. Thanks for listening, everyone. And remember, if you can register as an organ, eye, and tissue donor anytime, registerme.org. We'd like to thank Nick Whitaker for sharing his story with us today. And if you're interested in um, All My Tomorrows is a book you can find on Amazon or Barnes & Noble. And the movie is Two Hearts, and it'll be out as well. The best place to find us, guys, is at our website, thegiftedlife.org. You can listen to any of our episodes there or wherever you listen to your podcasts, whether it's Google, Spotify, iHeartRadio. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, please subscribe and leave us a five-star rating so others can find us. On social, check out Facebook, The Gifted Life Podcast. On Twitter and Insta, we're at Gifted Life Pod. And thank you, Miss Kelly, Miss Lopa CEO, yes. for sitting in with the crew. Thanks for having me. <laughs> I'm putting up with all my... Uh... Fumbling. No, <laughs> it was a great, we, we love great having experience. you here. We know that this is a, a passionate project for you, so we appreciate it. Joey that. will be back, everybody. Will be back. <laughs> Don't Take worry. Care of that baby, sweet baby. All right, guys, uh, we have an ask of you. Go out and do something you wouldn't normally do to help us make life happen. We're a team. Until next time. This is a production of LOPA, or the Louisiana Organ Procurement Agency. The Gifted Life is hosted by Lori Steele, Joey Boudreau, and Sarah Blakemore. Our executive producer is Kirsten Hines. Producer is Shalon Caraway. Intern is Rebecca Ranham. And we are recorded, engineered, and mixed in our Covington, Louisiana studio by Troy Perez. Troy Perez.